from Manhattan Associates, this is Nucleus of Innovation, the retail and supply chain podcast where we tackle some of the most important topics in the industry and learn how leaders are managing their supply chain challenges every day. I'm your host, Chris Shaw. As we enter the fall of 2020, and as testing becomes more attainable, schools are reopening, and sports are starting up again, the world seems to be finding a way to navigate a normal, which includes COVID-19. And one of the most fundamental aspects of most people's lives, of course, is eating and shopping for food. As the pandemic struck and paralyzed the world, online grocery shopping, contactless curbside pickup, and home delivery moved from a niche status to mainstream overnight. Grocery growers, suppliers, and retailers, like all industries, had to adapt, and they are still adapting today. But now, with a bit of time behind us, some strong patterns are emerging, indicating that a long-term outlook for grocery may have shifted permanently during the last six months. Joining me today to discuss this is Jackie Morolo, a grocery industry specialist at Manhattan Associates, and Steve Banker, VP of Supply Chain Research at the ARC Advisory Group. Thanks for joining the podcast today, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks. First, let's talk about that meteoric growth of online grocery in 2020 and what that's going to mean going forward. In a report recently published by Incisive, 60,000 consumers were polled across North America. And after that, they predicted that e-commerce will account for 21.5% of total grocery sales worth about $250 billion within five years. Now, that's a good bit higher than 2019, where online sales were only about 3.5% of all grocery sales. But 2020 has been significant for that boon in online grocery, jumping to over 10% of grocery sales, and it appears it may not be going back to previous levels. Now, Jackie, besides just the pure numbers, what else is changing or has changed in grocery due to the pandemic? Yeah, actually, the the consumer psychology and spending habits continues to change to a more hybrid and pragmatic approach. So the grocery industry will need to evolve or adapt to fit this new landscape. There are therefore some quick questions that needs to be considered. First, what, what does the no, new normal actually look like? Second, what, what is going to mean from a customer experience on supply chain perspective? COVID-19 has a fundamental impact on the psychology of how and when consumers now purchase goods. According to a recent Adobe Digital Report published in Forbes, the pandemic has accelerated the growth of e-commerce by as much as six years, leading to an increase in the overall share of mobile-first e-commerce. And it has created as well a significant growth of hybrid approaches such as bopies or even curbside pickup. After reacting to the, to the crisis, grocers now need to set up a sustainable model where online offers good services while being profitable. This translates in more volumes, but less margins. Indeed, more basic articles are now sold online, so this cost pressure requires better optimization. But it's not only this. They also need to offer better services, which means, among other things, constraints on lead times, constraints on the production tool, hence the necessity to ship from network of fulfillment centers, dark store and store. Not only this is like they were doing in the past. Still, in terms of better services, they have to offer the end customer to choose the precise time slot for home delivery as well as store pickup. 
Now, Steve, all this growth and these transformational experiences that Jackie is talking about to a more omni-channel approach raises some questions. Is the industry ready for this sudden shift? Can the grocery growers, suppliers, and retailers accommodate such a dramatic shift like what we're seeing? Well, well, Chris, the uh, short answer is, is no. Um, most retailers, I, I do not think, are ready for this pivot. There's, there's a lot of different things you need to do. There's a lot of, um, uh, of technology you need, uh, investments that need to be made. All of this takes time. I, I guess what I would focus on, instead of going through the long list of, of things grocery retailers need to, to, to do to be ready for this, is just focus on one thing, and that's, that's inventory accuracy, which, which I really think is one of the major problems um, in doing this well. You, you know, if, if your customers, for your customer to be satisfied, they order, then maybe they, they pick it up at the curb or maybe somebody delivers it to them, but they want what they ordered in their basket, and they're not happy if they don't get it. And when it comes to inventory accuracy, you know, in distribution centers, we've got this problem licked. If you've got a warehouse management system, you're using RF guns, you can get to 99.9% inventory accuracy and above. Uh, in stores, I've talked to, to well-known retailers that are at 90, 91, 92% inventory accuracy if they're picking from the front of the store. And that is just not good enough. That's not good enough to keep customers happy. You know, it may be that front of the store inventory accuracy will never be as good as a distribution center. Really, it can't, right? I mean, if um, if you've got six items in a slot and some shopper comes along and picks all six items, the, the, the store won't know that until that person checks out at the point of sale. So there, there's workarounds and, but, you know, the, the basic idea is inventory accuracy in front of the store, as opposed to dark stores, which Jackie was talking about, is never going to be as good. And it's something I worry about as grocers make this pivot. Steve, do we think that there'll be some acceptance from consumers at some point that the, if we think that the front of the store can never achieve that 99.9% accuracy we see in the D.C., do we find some happy medium or at some point will they have to introduce the kind of technology that they're going to need to satisfy that consumer experience that was honed, you know, when they're shopping at hard goods or other retailers who maybe don't have quite as much of the challenges that the grocery industry does? There are a couple of workarounds. Um, so one is that, you know, you as a retailer, you may think store uh, 129 has six items of a particular uh, SKU on the shelf, right? You, you might say there's always a chance a customer could take all six of those items. So unless there's at least 10 items between the back of the store and the front of the store, um, we're going to say we're out of that item. That is far from a perfect workaround. You're not you're not using inventory as efficiently as you can be. The other technology, uh, again, is only a parcel solution. They're starting to use autonomous mobile robots in the store that go up and down the aisle, aisles and, and try and improve inventory accuracy. Now, the, 
the AMRs do a great job when the slot is empty. They see that the slot is empty. They generate alert to somebody in the store to go and take care of that. And that's great. Um, but what they can't do is if there's five items on a shelf face, they don't know there's five items. They can see the item in front, but they can't see the items behind. So my personal opinion is that inventory accuracy is really important for customer satisfaction. Um, but I, I am down on front of store picking. I just don't think we'll ever get there doing it that way. I think dark stores and more smaller warehouses in urban centers um, are really the way to go on this. Okay. Now, Jackie, uh, building on what Steve's talking about, it seems as though in Europe, perhaps the grocery organizations are a bit ahead of those in North America when it comes to this seamless online, offline experience for consumers. Are there certain things that make that easier due to density or store size? Or have the European grocers just perhaps gotten off to a faster start than those that we're seeing in North America? Yeah, Chris, actually, I believe there are multiple reasons why it's different between North America and Europe. Uh, for example, Bopis is more popular in Europe just because Europe is more densely populated overall. Uh, orders can more easily arrive overnight, even before one delivery becomes such a high ex expectation. The continent also has a strong tradition of great retail logistics, which has opened the eyes of Europeans to many possibilities when it comes to the simple act of shopping. In terms of online grocery, there are of course disparities between countries in Europe, uh, depending on population density, strengths of uh, the delivery infrastructure and local culture. Uh, for example, the UK is leading the way with online grocery representing something like a bit more than 7% of the total grocery sales. On the other side, uh, in, in Germany, uh, the, the German consumers remain hesitant. The market share of online grocery is only 1.5%. Actually, Germans are very price sensitive when it comes to food, and they're also benefiting from a high density of grocery stores. Brands like companies like Lidl, Aldi, Rayway, and many others. Overall, the new normal in Europe for grocery moving forward is the following. First, Europeans want to spend less time in stores. Second, something that we have seen over the last few years is that they want to move to smaller, smaller formats. The hypermarkets are losing market share. And also, uh, something that we see more and more uh, since, uh, since the beginning of this year is uh, they're going to more local vendors. They want to buy and to consume local as much as possible. And last, we see that Europeans are gradually doing more online shopping. Actually, in conclusion, we, we are seeing an hybrid experience. Uh, people are now buying online products which don't need any checking, like milk, toilet, paper, water, ketchup, breakfast, etc., etc. But they still continue to go into supermarkets and convenience stores for products which require a closer look, like meat, fish, fruits. Okay, so that move toward more online, spending a little less time in the stores, Obviously, that leads us to something, Steve, that you've been talking about a lot recently, and that's the last mile impact of the pandemic. Now, you've been talking about it for all types of retail, but for grocery in particular, what are the challenges and opportunities that last mile delivery presents when organizations begin to make the shift to a more omni-channel approach to shopping like Jackie was talking about? Yeah, there, there's there's different aspects to it. So there's a warehousing aspect and the transportation aspect, and Jackie has brought up uh, dark, dark stores, as an example. 
And I have a colleague, Chris Cunane, who's done a last mile survey of retailers. And he says that the number one reason stores are used for e-commerce order picking and shipping is a need to get that order to customers um, much more quickly than we have in the past. Uh, and so certainly, you know, taking your store and blocking off half the store, making the front of the store smaller, making the back of the store look more like a warehouse. That's one way you can get inventory accuracy and you can uh, have warehousing that's close to the customer. On the trust transportation front, we're seeing three different technologies, um, drones, crowdsourcing, and delivery autonomous mobile robots. Drones, I, I think, is a non-starter in grocery. Um, the, the margins are thin in grocery. I just don't, you know, I just do not see drones being used because it's a, a more expensive way of making these deliveries really on the grocery front in the next 10 years. Crowdsourcing are, are apps that people use. So it may be, for example, I'm a plumber and I'm doing all my stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm done and I'm going to drive right by a grocery store. And uh, why not stop in, you know, get an order and then deliver it to a customer that's on my way home anyway. So, you know, in theory, it, uh, it makes great sense. And, um, you know, in Chris's survey, 15% of respondents were actively pursuing this technology for last mile deliveries. And the, the fact with coronavirus, people don't want to come in contact with other people um, has, is another factor we need to think about. And so um, the, the final technology is autonomous mobile robots. And these are little robots that run on the sidewalk instead of, you know, in warehouses or stores. So the order is put into the robot and it, it uh, uses a, an internal navigation system and goes right up, uh, right up the sidewalk. It stops in front of somebody's house or apartment building. An email is sent to the person inside. They have a special code that al allows them to go down and get the, the food out. So those are the options. Uh, I think there's more uh, momentum around the, the little delivery robots uh, than the other two areas. Okay. So today we've talked about inventory visibility, social distancing, last mile. Steve, can you give us a little insight into an organization perhaps that is making the move to overcome some of the challenges we've mentioned? Maybe an organization that's investing in a more modern approach to grocery going forward to try and address some of these challenges? Right. Well, yes. Um, I had a long um, conversation with Chris Lewis, who is a uh, part of Ahold Del Hayes. So Ahold Del Hayes is a global grocery, 47 billion in sales in the U.S., uh, banners in the U.S. like Stop and Shop and, and Hannaford's. Um, I, I think I talked earlier about everyone, every grocer starts their journey at a different place. And I was talking more sort of about the, the front end of that end-to-end -end supply chain when I'm talking about in-store inventory. But a lot of what Ahold Del Hayes has done has been more focused on the back end. So they, they started their journey and they're spending $480 million to improve their capabilities. 
they started their their journey with network design. So a lot of their warehousing was being run by a, a third party partner, and they thought to get good at this, they needed to they needed to do uh, they needed to own the warehouses and own the picking and own the fulfillment. Um, so they're bringing that back in house, and they're building more warehouses that will be uh, allow them to get deliveries from those warehouses to stores much quicker than they did in the past. Some of these warehouses uh, are going to be very, particularly the frozen ones, it's hard to get people to work in a frozen warehouse. They're going to be very, very highly automated warehouses with uh, automatic uh, storage and retrieval systems, almost a dark warehouse really in effect. And um, they're moving to uh, a common warehouse management system across all their warehouses. Uh, probably because you asked this uh, question, Chris, you know that that's Manhattan that they're going to be using. And, uh, um, you know, certainly I talked about the benefits around inventory accuracy of a warehouse management system. As far as what they're doing in the warehouse, they're willing to add comple complexity to warehouse operations to reduce complexity at the stores. So in a warehouse, you often are building a mixed pallet. So um, there'll be certain uh, SKUs that will go into aisle one and certain S SKUs that will go into aisle two and so forth and so on. They want those mixed pallets, those rainbow pallets, constructed in a way that when they uh, arrive at the store, they can be rolled right to the right aisle. And once the stuff for that aisle is put away, it goes to the next aisle. You're not going from one end of the store to the other end of the store. And then finally, um, they're, they're also um, going to integrate their WMS with a, a transportation management system, also from, from Manhattan, and uh, a, a tightly integrated warehouse management transportation management system is particularly good for, for making sure um, the handoffs that occur in the warehouse yard uh, happen effectively. So they're making big investments, but it's not all about technology. They recognize um, that for uh, e-fulfillment from the stores, they need to get to 99% inventory accuracy in the front of the store. They think they can do it. I, I'm probably not quite as confident as they are. One of their problems is, um, you know, what's going on in the, the warehouse is, is supply chain people. And in the store, there are store operations people. So... The, the cultural issue they're going to have to get over is, is to make sure that the store operations people are as committed to inventory accuracy and, um, you know, fulfillment that goes out of a store uh, out to the customer with the same level of accuracy that the, the back-end supply chain does it. Thanks, Steve. I know we're super excited about the transformation that Ahold uh, Del Hayes is undertaking. And I think what it really does is underpins that need to look at the organization and the processes holistically. Uh, no longer can look at your distribution centers separately from your stores or your transportation separately from your distribution. You really have to look at how you create synergies. And as you said, choose places where you're willing to be more complex because you have more control to make things easier somewhere else. Jackie, 
Can you give us another example, perhaps, of a forward-thinking approach that a grocer is taking as they make the jump to focusing on exceptional user experiences across both digital and physical properties? Yeah, sure. Actually, most of them here in Europe are moving, but I can pick up a, a couple of examples. So the first one is Carrefour. So the, the French supermarket giant have realized that omnichannel supply chain is the only solution to compete with pure online players. So by end of 2020, Carrefour will offer home delivery in all French cities with more than 10,000 inhabitants. In addition to expanding Carrefour delivery capability, the two-hour click-long-collect service for non-food products will be made available to wider market. So it's not only in France. Carrefour is also increasing its e-commerce operations across Europe. With, for example, delivery capacity in Belgium and click-and-collect services in Poland. Now let's have a look at a, at a second example with Aldi Sud, the German discounter. In the past, they had not done anything in terms of uh, selling groceries online. Also, he did sell wine on non-food items via its website. Since April 2020, Aldi, Aldi is teaming up with Deliveroo to offer grocery home deliveries in England. It's, it is also now offering click and collect as a trial in the UK. The supermarket will initially offer a range of 300 essential items such as bread, milk, and fresh produce, which can be ordered via the delivery app for the delivery in as little as 30 minutes. The minimum order is actually 15 pounds and the delivery cost 4.99 pounds. This new initiative has been actually launched during the pandemic, uh, actually initially mainly to help vulnerable and elderly shoppers in, in the UK, and they have extended. And I, I gave two, but actually I have to say that uh, all these crossers, these retailers have no choice to move, and they are all investing heavily in, uh, in a forward-thinking approach. Thanks, Jackie. Uh, you know, in listening to your examples and Steve's, what, what comes back to me really is the underpinning capability is just agility the ability to pivot and adapt when we need to and how that's becoming more and more critical. All right, Steve and Jackie, that's all the time we have for today's episode, but I want to thank you both for joining us to talk about what's next for the grocery industry beyond a somewhat tumultuous 2020. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Thank you. Thank you.